the blank from this famous saying, Houston, we have a problem. All right, that was first said 1970, all right? It was said by one of the astronauts on the Apollo 13 mission. Actually, that's one of the most famous misquotes. He didn't say that, actually. He said, Houston, okay, Houston, we've had a problem, all right? So it's something that already passed. It's past tense, but we've said, Houston, we have a problem. And it was a manned mission. that was supposed to be the third mission to land on the moon. Uh, that mission never made it to the moon. Went around the moon, came home uh, because of some malfunctions. Houston, we have a problem. The Bible is a book of problems and solutions. And so uh, today we're going to look at one of those problems in the Bible and solutions that go along with it. So take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 14. We'll look at a problem in the New Testament church at the very beginning and talk about how it applies to us today. The big picture of the Bible is this. Mankind has a great problem, sin problem, right? Uh, from Adam uh, all through generations, every man has been a sinner. And that's a big problem. And God's great solution was a Savior, Jesus Christ, who came, lived in a moment of time, came and lived as a man. God in the flesh uh, lived, died, gave his life that man might live with God. And so the big problem is sin. The big solution is salvation through a Savior. And that is uh, the Bible has that big problem and solution throughout its pages. But there are many other problems that we face. And we believe, right, and I hope you agree with me, that the Bible has solutions to everyday problems, uh, financial problems, relationship problems, all whatever problem you're facing, if you look hard enough in the Bible and apply Bible principle, there are solutions to problems uh, in 2019 in St. Thomas, Ontario. And that's the amazing thing about the Bible. It was written thousands of years ago uh, by men of God, inspired by God, but it still applies today. And so I hope today that we'll see in Romans 14 some principles that will help us uh, solve what could be a problem in our church. So here in this chapter, Paul's addressing a problem in the early church. We'll begin in chapter 14. Uh, we'll start in verse number 1. Romans chapter 14, verse number 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Let me just say right away before we begin, I'm not going to cover the whole chapter. We're going to kind of jump through it just because of time. There are a lot more things in this chapter that would help us, but because of time's sake, just uh, bear with us. We'll kind of hop along, all right? Verse number 2. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. So you see the problem beginning to develop. There's a guy in the church that uh, only eats herbs, and there's a guy in the church that eats all things. And there is a, uh, a little bit of a disunity there, a little bit of uh, friction there between these two, uh, these two groups. Look at uh, verse number three. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. All right? So talking about eating different things, dietary laws is what it's talking about here. Later on, it talks about observing certain holidays and special days. And so there's some ideas of, of things that were not like core values in the church, and Paul's going to deal with those things and, and kind of deal with the differences here in the church. So, and really, if we break it down this way, uh, in the New Testament church, we had for the very first time Jews and Gentiles 
worshiping together. It was a brand new thing. <laughs> like for thousands of years, that's the way it was. But now all of a sudden, Jesus Christ came to earth and everything changed. It's okay for Jews and Gentiles. Not only is it okay, it's the right way to do things that Jews and Gentiles will now worship together. And we're all one in Jesus Christ. So those things have all changed. So now you have all these Jewish people who have uh, for years and years and years followed their Jewish traditions of the Old Testament covenant. And now they're under the grace of Jesus Christ and they're trying to figure things out. <laughs> like that's the way it was last year, but now Jesus Christ died for our sins and so now things are different. There, there's a difference here and they're trying to like balance Old Testament Jewish laws, dietary laws, special occasions, those kind of laws. They're trying to balance Old Testament Jewish tradition with New Testament Jesus loves everyone. Gentiles can be saved. And, and this, this is the new kingdom. And we're here to advance the kingdom. And they're trying to balance that in their mind. On the other hand, we have Gentiles. Gentiles who have lived their whole life like there is no God. <laughs> like there is nothing out. Maybe they followed multiple gods or this God or that God. And now they realize there's one true God. And he had to send his son Jesus Christ, died on the cross. They've accepted that. They've received Jesus Christ as their Savior. So they're trying to balance now all this grace in their life and their old and their old baggage of an old life all right so you think about the, the mix of the new testament church there's a lot going on here and now they're all worshiping together and because of that the jews are following their old testament tradition of you know no this is the dietary laws we got to keep these things we're jews and you know this is important this is always is important for my father it's important for my grandfather it's important for his father so it's going to be important here and if you want to join our church and be part of our church then you better follow these laws of dietary laws and they're also saying, you know, we observe these holidays and you're Gentiles, so if you're coming with us, this is what you've got to observe. In fact, there's other stories in the Bible about how they work through those issues. We don't have time to go through all that. But this is kind of the, the friction here. There is a divide based more upon the racial and the background and traditions. And both groups were not handling the situation correctly. Look again at, at verse 3 of chapter 14. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. All right, so one group was despising the other group. That's not a good thing. They were, that's not right way to handle it. Now look on. And let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. All right, so one group's despising, one group's judging. <laughs> right? So they're judging, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing that, and they're like, Hey, back off, buddy. I don't care what you say. I don't, you, you have nothing for me. And they began to despise the other group. And this drove the division deeper and deeper. And so Paul, writing a letter to the Christians in the city of Rome, deals with this and says, hey, both you guys, stop it. <laughs> You're both wrong. It's like, a, it's like a parent, like when there's two kids in the back seat and they're saying, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. You say as a parent, I don't care whose fault it is. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Stop judging. Stop despising. So this is the divide we see here between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, neither group was handling it correctly. And we don't have the exact same problem today. You know, we're, I think all of us are Gentiles, so we don't have that problem. And we don't have the old dietary laws and those kind of uh, special days that the Jews followed. But today, if there's a natural division in the church, it's not racial, Jews and Gentiles. It'd be generational. All right? Because of the longevity of life and because of the way things are uh, and people living longer lifespans, there are actually more generations in the church now than ever before. 
We're now, the church is now servicing five generations of people. All right, so if there's a natural divide in a church, I'm not saying our church, but any church, any, any group of people that is trying to reach a multi-generational group, there's a big difference between, in thought between someone who's 85 and someone who's 15. Right? You see things, you see the world differently. And that can become a problem. But you know what's good about the Bible? It's a book of problems and solutions. And so we have here some principles of the Bible that if we can take and apply, we can work through those uh, generational differences. All right. And our church has always been and always strived to be a multi-generational church. From early on, with discussions with Pastor Stone, and, and, and most of you don't know this, but like when they brought me on as youth pastor, it was probably not the best financial decision the church ever made at that time. I, I hope and pray that it was worthwhile 30 years later, but, but I mean, uh, I don't know. Ruthie, don't answer that. Pastor's not here. But I mean, that was financially, to bring a guy on staff to work with teenagers was probably not the best financial decision. But the church uh, knew that if the church was going to grow, they needed to invest in the lives of young people. And so it, it's all, Bible Baptist Church has always been, and listen now, must always continue to be a multi-generational church. All right, So we still have buses that run because we're investing over and over again into kindergarten, grade 1, 2, grade 3, 4, teen class. We're investing, investing, investing in the younger generations. All right? And so... This is, this is who we are, and this is part of our series about who we are as a church. We are a multi-generational church. Now, let me ask you this question. What generation do you belong to? Do you know what generation? The generations are divided into different age groups. Maybe you know what generation you are uh, divided into. So basically, I'll break them down very easily. If you're age 20 to 40, that's one generation. That generation is called the... Millennials, all right? They get a bad rap a lot of times if you read stuff on the internet. The millennials, all right? So that's that generation. And then the next generation would be like uh, age 40 to 55. It'd be my generation, all right? And age 40 to 55, that's called generation X or the Xers, all right? That's me. I'm a generation X. That's who I am. And then above that, uh, one of the biggest generations was 55 to 75. We know that generation as... Baby boomers, all right? So they've got the baby boomers. And then there's a generation from age 75 and older, which some of you are here tonight. Thank you for making it. Uh, I know it's past your bedtime, but we're glad that you're here. Just, just joking, just joking. All right, so 75 and older. Um, listen, that generation, what do we call that generation? Anybody know what we call that generation? The silent generation or the traditionalist. All right, that's what they call this. They call the silent generation because they were taught that children should be seen and not heard. Right? <laughs> that's the, that was that generation. And they're, listen, known as the traditionalist. In other words, we have a tradition and we're not going to change. All right, now, so this, put that into in perspective what we're talking about here in the New Testament church. We had the Jewish people saying, Here's our traditions, and you need to follow our traditions. And so that's where the friction was. So now if we have a generation who are known as the traditionalists, we can see where there can be friction when the millennials, and you know the generation behind the millennials, that's called generation, Z, I think Z or Z. They, they skipped Y because they're millennials. They were generation Y. They changed it to millennials. So uh, generation Z or Z, and they may change their name later on, depending on what their, uh, you know, kind of their 
claim to fame is, but right now there's Z. So that will be like, you know, an 8, 19 and down, all right? So uh, that's the generation that's coming up in the church right now. So our church breaks down. So this morning while you were listening to the preaching, I was looking behind you. I was analyzing you. I was guessing your age. If you're a lady, I guess you're younger. If you're a man, I guess you're older. Right? Just so you know. For some of you, I know you're very sensitive about your age. I took 20 years off what I thought. Just so you know. Just, and you know who you are. All right. So, uh, so some of you are like 19 years old here. It's fine. All right. So, so here's what I found this morning in our congregation based upon my best guess. I just broke it down 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 10 to 8. This makes it easier for me. All right. So percentage-wise, 20 to 30. So we had just a few, the kids were already out, so I didn't really count the teenagers. I have a number here, but didn't really count because all the kids were next door. 20 to 30, 17%. 17%. 30 to 40, 12%. 40 to 50, 10%. 50 to 60, 12%. 60 to 70, 12%. 70 and up. This is my guess, and maybe I'm guessing, but, and I actually, just so you know, I do have, access to the church app as well. So some of you, I not only guessed, but I looked it up. All right, so I, if, you put your, if you gave us your birthday, uh, then we know how old you are, all right? So it calculates it for us. 70 and up, 30% this morning, all right? So if you can see, I mean, if, if I could show you a graph, the, eight, the, the biggest group, almost a third of our congregation this morning were, I mean, easily, almost half was 60 and up anyway. All right, so what I'm saying is we need to be a multi-generational church, all right. And what I'm not, we don't factor in there is we did have a bunch of kids next door. I didn't factor that in. We do have run buses on Wednesday night because we're constantly reaching the next generation. We're trying to, trying to, trying to, right. But just so you know, that, that's just how we break down. That was the Bible Baptist Church this morning. And I actually did this about a month ago and the numbers were similar. So that's two times that I did that, okay. So I say that all that to say this. We need to be a multi-generational church. And sometimes what happens is younger adults, millennials, feel like they're judged by baby boomers and traditionalists. They feel like no matter what they do, it's not good enough. Back in their day, they had to walk uphill both ways to school in the snow, yada, yada, yada. They weren't, these, they're lazy, they're entitled, they're like, and they feel that there's a sense. I'm not saying in our church, I'm saying as an overall, go on the internet and Google it. Millennials have not got a great rap. <laughs> and they sense that in the church and outside the church. And so they feel, listen, they feel judged. They feel criticized. They feel critiqued. No matter what they do, it's not good enough. And so they feel judged. Now listen, is that the right attitude to have? No, the Bible says no. Paul says, stop it. Stop judging. So what did they do when they got judged? Despised. I don't, those, I, I got nothing from you. You mean, I mean, your opinions don't really matter to me anymore. You guys were living 50 years ago. I'm living in the now and now. You're going to judge me. I'm going to despise you. That's wrong. That's wrong. If the millennials don't understand that there is, the, the bulk of wisdom in our church lies over here in the baby boomers and the traditionalists, we are doomed as a church. Right? This is where wisdom is. And so here's the divide, in the, and, and it can happen in our church. And so uh, both attitudes are wrong, uh, but the Bible is a book of problems and solutions. And so in this chapter, Paul not only presents the problem, he also gives some solutions. So what we're going to try to do tonight is apply 
a first century solution to a 21st century problem. Fair enough? And if, if we can't take first century solutions from the Bible and apply them in the 21st century, we might as well close the Bible and go somewhere else because that's why we have a Bible. To take the Bible and apply it into today's situations and problems. So we're going to outline some principles to live by. I'll go through them quickly so I won't keep you long. But if we follow these principles, the problem will be solved. So he introduces a few of these principles. And again, I won't go through all of them. But he uses the word let or let us. Let or let us, which the idea of working together on something or changing something. Hey, let's, let's all go next door. Let's, let's all do this together. It's the idea of coming together. And so what I'm saying tonight is here are some solutions that if we'll all work on together, it keeps the Bible Baptist Church moving forward as a multi-generational church. And so that's kind of the title, Maintaining a Multi-Generation Church. I had this other title. I didn't use it, but I was going to call it Millennials and Xers and Boomers, Oh My. Millennials and Xers and Boomers, oh my. Because that's kind of the situation we're in. But we'll go, we'll go with this traditional title, Maintaining a Multi-Generational Church, all right? So here we are. Hopefully you'll see the principles of, of, uh, of this. And really we can break it down to this, maintaining unity in a growing church. So the church in the New Testament was growing. Jews, Gentiles, disunity became, anything that grows is a possibility for disunity, <laughs> All right. So if our, we want our church to grow and we want to maintain unity, here's some principles to live by. All right. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says in chapter 14, verse number 13, here's those words. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Okay, he even said before, stop judging. First, first solution is stop judging and stop criticizing. Stop despising. Just stop it. All right? Uh, the old people, I'm sorry, the older generation, uh, the uh, traditionalists, the baby boomers, they're not always judging you. Don't feel that. And you have a lot to learn from them. Okay, so stop judging, stop despising. Solution number one, just stop it. All right? Then he goes on to say, verse 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. But judge this rather, that, th that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So that's a pretty big principle about stumbling block. I just narrow it down to this point here. Look at this. Value others over yourself. All right. You want to solve the problem? And we're going to talk about all, it's, it's your, we need to reevaluate certain things. We need to have a different value system. You got to start valuing others more than yourself. Generations that are older, you need to value the millennials and value the next generation. If we don't value the young people of our church, we'll lose the young people of our church. Come on now, right? We understand that. Years ago, I, I came, I went on vacation, I came home, I found a book on my desk. To this day, I don't know who put it there. I hate to read, so I don't know who gave that to me. But I did read that book. It was, it was uh, the title was Already Gone. Talking about how we're losing and this is a broader picture of Christianity. Christianity was, is losing a generation of believers. And though they're in your, the idea of the book was, though they're sitting in your pews, in their mind, they're already gone. And if we don't start valuing them over holding on to what we think we want, we're going to lose a generation. You know what the opposite of a multi-generation church is? A dying church. <laughs> So we got to be careful. we got, we got to value, and this, this is a Bible principle. It doesn't matter what age it is. Also, the millennials, the younger generations need to value those older generations. See the wisdom. Understand their love. And, their, and their, maybe they're scared about change. And you understand that. Value one another. 
esteem others better than yourselves, the Bible says elsewhere. Here it says, don't judge them, judge yourself rather that you're not hurting them. How is your actions hurting or helping them? How is your actions hurting or helping them? Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about everybody else. If you apply that in a generational, start thinking of other generations. Because it's not all about you. It's not about you. It's about the body of Christ. I can tell you something about you. You like things your own way. You like the music in the church a certain way. The temperature in the church a certain way. The decorations of the church a certain way. The order of service in the church a certain way. We changed it, back in January, we changed like three songs in a row. And people asked, what did we do that for? You know why? We're, we're just creatures of habit. You know why we changed it? Because we're creatures of habit. If we just get in the routine and we stand and we sing and we sit down and we sing, isn't that religion? We don't want religion. We want relationships. So sometimes it's okay to change it up a bit. It's okay. If it makes you think about the words on the screen or the words that you're singing, that's a good thing. It's about having a relationship with God. And so we know you like things a certain way, but it's just not about you. Esteem others better than yourself. Try focusing on the needs of a different generation. Value others over yourself. Don't judge them. Judge this, rather, that you don't make them stumble. How can you help or hurt a different generation? That's what you should judge. Value them over yourself. Next one. Look at verse 15. I'm sorry, 16. Let not your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. He said, you're, always, you're worried about this meat and drink thing. You're always worried about you know, what dietary things is. He said, he's saying this, there's more important things than the dietary or what holidays you've observed or what, listen now, the traditions that you hold on to. There's something more valuable than those traditions. What are those things? Well, he names a few of them here. Peace, righteousness, joy, Holy Ghost. You know what he's saying here? I put it this way. Value truth over tradition. Value truth. Truth is greater than tradition. So let me be clear. We must never compromise truth. That was the first lesson we did Talking about our DNA. Bible Baptist Church has always been, will always be a biblically minded, Bible preaching church. Truth is number one. It's a pillar and ground of truth. Nothing will change that. But we understand some things are just tradition and some things are truth. We got to make a division. Let's play a little game in your mind. You don't answer out loud. So I want you to categorize these things in your mind. Is this truth or is this tradition? The music in the church. I don't have the answer for, I'm not, I'm not giving you answers, I'm just giving you questions to ask. You know what, listen, it's okay not to have all the answers, but when you stop asking questions, you're dying. You better start asking yourself some tough questions that you need to answer, all right? And looking to the Bible for those answers. Questions are good when you go to the right source to get the answers. I would say there are some things about music that is truth, and there's something that's just tradition. And we gotta be careful about those dividing lines. I don't like that style of song. Well, that's probably a tradition more than a truth. But if we cross a line and it becomes where we're dishonoring God, well, 
we should do all things to the glory of God. And so if our music becomes honoring to man, not to God, we've crossed the line in truth. So we, this isn't a message about music. I'm just saying that's one thing. Decorations in the church, how the church is styled. Hey, the truth of the matter is if, if, if we had money right now, we would probably redecorate the, all the time of the church. It, it looked good and it does look good. But we're ready to, we, I mean, I, we've done a, I don't say it wasn't me. People have done a good job renovating other parts of the church. I think they've done a good job. I, I like a, fr- a fresh look. We were talking today in our class. You know, I said, we're doing the upstairs next, the teen room and that. I said, that's basically all we have to do other than the auditorium. And one of our guys says, and the men's washroom. <laughs> I said, well, that's true. We haven't done that yet. So there's, there's another one, all right? So for the most part, I mean, the basement's all been remodeled. Next door is pretty well done. And, and there's always improvements you can make for sure, but auditorium. But it is how you, the style of your church, is that truth or tradition? Is it the way we dress when we come to church service? Is that truth or tradition? Uh, the order of service that you maintain, is that truth or tradition? I'll give you a clue. Look in the Bible in the New Testament and see how much time is given to the scheduling of a church service. Zero. Look in the Bible and see how much time is given to how you ought to treat the person in the pew next to you. That's religion. That's true religion. That, that's relationship. That's true Christianity. And so it just because, I mean, we have been a traditional style church. I'm not saying we're changing that. I'm just saying call it what it is. <laughs> if it's, if it run, I, I like tradition. In fact, I'm going to say this to you. In the Bible, the word tradition is not a bad word or a good word. It's just a word. In fact, there's times in the Bible where it says, you know, don't lose your tradition. That it was handed down to you. The word tradition means something handed down from generation to generation. Sometimes that's good, but it's not, it's not the same as truth, right? In fact, the Jesus Christ was pretty harsh on the Pharisees for raising their tradition above truth, teaching the commandments of men more than the commandments of God raising their traditions above a truth. We can't do that. Our preaching ought to be preaching about truth, not preaching about tradition. I, we, I mean, I love being, a, I'm a traditional guy. Like, I, I am, I like traditions. I have, we, have, we have Christmas traditions in our house. and we have, That's good, but it's not truth. So value those things. Um, and maybe we should have one more category, not only truth, tradition, but some of it's just taste. It's just a matter of preference, you know, I like this. I don't like this. I, I like the way that I don't like. Who cares? I mean, I have things I like and don't like. And if it's your taste, that's great. You can have taste. And you cannot, you cannot like something in the church. It's okay. Just don't go around telling everybody how much you hate it. And, and that sounds funny, but it's true. Right? If, that's your, if you realize, well, that's just my taste, and I didn't care for that. I don't like Pastor Holland's preaching. Well, join the people in my family, all right? Then, no, just so, I mean, that's fine. It's, it's, it's all good, but it's, there, some things are simply a matter of taste. We've got to just draw those lines, all right? So let's make, we, gotta, we have that discussion. What's, what's tradition? What's truth? What, what about Bible Baptist Church is non-negotiable? And some, what things are? We have those discussions. It's okay. Number three here, look at in, in verse number 19, it talks about this. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. Okay, peace. Can I say it this way? Uh, this is a good principle of how to get along in a church. 
value unity over conformity. Unity is greater than, it's more important than conformity. Everyone doesn't have to dress like you, enjoy the same music you do, worship like you do. That's conformity. If I expect everybody to dress, do exactly what I do, I want you to conform to what, here's my, here's who I am, so you guys be like me. We don't want you to be like me. We don't want you to be like Pastor Yomas. We don't expect that. We want you to be you. In fact, the Bible, as far as I can see, only calls us to conform to one person. Jesus Christ, right? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Like Jesus, we're going to be conformed to the image. That's he, that's it. All things work together for good. You know why? He wants to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the conformity. If you like, look like Jesus Christ, I like Jesus Christ, we all have unity. Unity is more important than conformity. So there's going to be some things in our church that you don't like. It won't be your favorite. You might not enjoy the way the upstairs is decorated for the teens. Well, that's all right. You cannot like it. it like, honestly, it's okay that you don't like... Uh, you know, honestly, if we kept the temperature here, there's no way possible I could keep the temperature in here the way that all of you like it. Listen to me. How, now, be honest. Husbands and wives... How many of you have a hard time finding even in your own vehicle or your own house a temperature where both of you are happy? And you want us to do that for 100 people. And I don't care. You can come back and tell me, hey, I found it hot in here. I found it cold in here. And I, we could just kind of take a balance and say, well, we're right on then. Perfect. <laughs> half are hot, half are cold. <laughs> Nobody's just right. We're all miserable together. All right? So that's good. All right? So it's hard to do that. We can't. It's okay not to like certain things. I didn't care for that song today. There's been songs that our groups have sang that wasn't my favorite. And there are songs that I hear and I go home and I, and I search for it on Spotify, which for those of you who don't know is an app on your phone and you can get music off it. And I go and I listen and I put that in my playlist so I know I like that song. That's a new song for me. I really enjoyed that. That means something to me. That's okay. Guess what? You'll never know which song I didn't like. Mrs. Thompson made this comment. Mrs. Thompson, my pastor's wife back when I grew up, someone asked her, do you ever disagree with Dr. Thompson? She says, if you do, if I do, you'll never know. Great answer. Great answer. I mean, and if you, I mean, and I'll, Pastor Yeomans is very open and, and conversational about things. If you want to talk to him about, you know, I don't care for this, I don't care for that, or I really like this, let's have conversations. Let's, let's talk about it. But again, remember, number one, value others over yourself. <laughs> All right. Let's make sure it's truth, not tradition. And let's make sure that we're valuing unity over conformity. Everybody doesn't have to be like you or like what you like. It's okay. In fact, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And we can either, I can either look at Pastor Yeomans and I can criticize his weakness or I can celebrate his strength. As a Christian, I'll celebrate his strength, not criticize his weakness. He has strength in areas that I have weakness. And because God brought us together as a body, it works. <laughs> right? And even not and even Pastor Jones and I, God brought us together as a staff. And Pastor Levi, and so we all have strength. And so let's not criticize everybody's weaknesses. Let's celebrate their strengths and realize, okay, they got weaknesses. <laughs> but let's celebrate the strength. And if you can help, like my job, partially as a staff member and as a friend and as a church member, is to help Pastor Yeomans in areas that he's weak and vice versa. 
I've told, he's told us, I've told, we have an agreement in our staff. If you ever see anything in our life that you see is not right or just doesn't measure up, doesn't look right, please, let's bring it out in the open. Like if, if you think that I didn't handle a situation a certain way, it was correct, or uh, this isn't right, and we've had that with Pastor Stone, we've had that open conversation about things, that's weakness and strength, right? And so that's who we are as a church. So stop criticizing and start celebrating the differences. All right, let me finish this up. Verse 19 also says this, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Edify, edify, edify. I'll say it this way. Value growth over comfort. The church will stop growing if we begin to value comfort. If you're comfortable with where Bible Baptist Church is right now, hey, we're only $68,000 away from paying off our debt. We'll be debt-free. We're sailing. We got great music in the morning. Everything's great. You know, we're just sailing right along. Don't get too comfortable. Because it's all about growth. Edify means to build up. It's the word of a house builder. Uh, when I was young, I had growing pains. Anybody have growing pains when they were younger? You know what I'm talking about? As you grew too fast, you know, as a church grows, there's growing pains. It's just not always easy. Let me ask you this question. How many of you are honest and you'd say, I don't like change? Be honest. Some of you just, I mean, this is how you're wired. It's okay. I kind of like change. <laughs> My wife's raising her, either she's getting Pentecostal or raising her hand. I'm not sure what she's doing. Some don't like change. It's okay. But listen, listen, listen. The name of the game in the Christian life is change. <laughs> you are not in the image of Jesus Christ, and God's trying to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. He's trying to change you. And the church is supposed to help you do that. So change has almost become a bad word in the church, but change can be change is not good or bad. Again, change is change. Are some changes bad? Yeah, for sure. If you change and start going away from tradition and following trends over over truth, I'm sorry, over, you start getting away from truth and following trends, that's bad. That's bad. But change is not always bad or good. It's just change. And God's trying to change us. So here's some principles. Value truth over tradition. Value unity over conformity. Value growth over comfort. Value others over yourself. So we as a staff are committed to being a multi-generational church. And we as a staff are committed to biblical truth. We as a staff are committed to growth and change in ourselves and our members. We are not committed to your comfort. If you want a pastoral staff that only cares about your comfort, this is not the pastoral staff. If you want a pastoral staff that cares about your growth in Jesus Christ so that we're more and more like Jesus Christ and we're reaching more and more people in St. Thomas and around the world, then this is a great place to be. Thank you for joining. Hope you'll stay and jump on board because we value uh, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the change it makes in the lives of people. So we ask ourselves constantly, what's best for our people? What's truth? What's tradition? How will this affect the unity of our church? And how can we move forward as a church? How can we maintain unity in a growing church? How can we always be a multi-generational church that doesn't compromise on the word of God? That's who Bible Baptist Church has always been and will always be by God's grace. A multi-generational church. What, what, here's your part. 
Here's your part. Now listen, everybody, it's your part and I'm done. Take the principles of Romans chapter 14 and live it. Start valuing others more than yourself. Worry about unity, not just everybody being just like you. Right? Value truth, but tradition is not as important. And you work on growth in your life and stop trying to be comfortable. By that, the church moves forward and we reach multiple generations through the power of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?